and, and remain at Matthew, the sixth chapter. But in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, we're uh, instructed to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And we're talking about um, a Jesus worldview. Um, we've already established that Jesus saw this world and the people in it differently than others saw it. And that he looked at situations differently than other people looked at them. And that we are so thankful that he did not see impossibility when other people saw impossibility. And that he saw even some of the most serious conditions that people found themselves in, seemingly permanent situations that people found themselves in, as opportunities. He saw them as opportunities for his father to be glorified uh, in that person's healing or deliverance. And an opportunity for Father God to reveal himself in some way uh, through the miracle that that Jesus uh, performed. And we also said that his different view of things, his different perspective of things, was critical to the fulfillment of his destiny. Was critical to the fulfillment of his destiny. He would not have been able to accomplish everything that he accomplished had he looked at things the way everyone else looked at things. And if his perspective, or as we or using the world, the term worldview, if his worldview was critical to the fulfillment of his destiny, it can't be any different for you and me. In other words, if we're going to do what Father God has put us on this earth to do and accomplish as individuals, as a local family of faith, and as the body of Christ in the world, then we're going to have to learn how to see things the way Jesus saw them. And we, and we see that, again, of, of all the different things that Jesus was assigned to do, while he was on this earth, one of those things was to instill in to his disciples the same worldview that he had. And that hasn't changed. Jesus is wanting to enable you by the Holy Spirit to see problems, to see people, to see yourself, to see him, to see uh, the Heavenly Father, to see the Holy Spirit, to see the church, to see the all of that, right? To see it the way he sees it. When we talk about growing up into Jesus in all things, you know, certainly that would have to do with obedience and you know, any good thing that you can name that Jesus displayed for us, we're growing up into him in that. But we can't leave off the, the truth and the reality that we, we also have to grow up into his way of looking at things, his way of seeing things. And the passage in Romans 12 is clear that the world we live in is trying to form right? And so we were never meant to live in this world as the children of God with a view of this world that came from this world. Let me say that again. We were never meant as children of God to live in this world with a view of this world that came from this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. And the view that we're to have of this world is um, like Jesus. He looked at everything in this world through a lens uh, of heaven, 
and I don't, I don't just mean heaven like as a place that you go after this life, but, you know, what are we to pray, for example? We're to pray for the kingdom to come and for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, if the body of Christ is ever going to produce the culture of God's kingdom here on this earth, we've got to have a worldview based upon that culture. We've, we've got to be able to look at, at life on this planet through the lens of the kingdom of heaven. God's rule, God's reign, God's realm, God's resources. And when we look at all the things that were made available to Jesus for him to fulfill his destiny here on this planet, things like the Holy Spirit was given to him without measure, the glory of God was given to him by God the Father, the love of God the Father was set upon Jesus, the authority that Jesus had over demonic spirits. Um, again, this whole list of things that Jesus utilized and operated in and had available to him in order to fulfill his destiny in Father's kingdom here upon the earth. I know this may be a little bit of a stretch for some of you, but the scriptures are clear on this. This is not something that, that we have to try to, you know, almost mistranslate a verse to, to make it say. There's nothing, listen to me now, nothing that was available to Jesus in order for him to fulfill his destiny has been made unavailable to you and me. Everything that Jesus had at his disposal to do what he did on this earth has, has been given to the church, has been given to you and me. The same love. He said, Father, you love me with the same love. Uh, you love them with the same love you love me with. The same glory. Father, give to them the glory that you've given to me. The same Holy Spirit without measure and overflowing abundance. The same access to God the Father. Jesus had access to God the Father. Was, was, was Jesus' access to God the Father critical to the fulfillment of His purpose and destiny and assignment on planet Earth? You better know that it was. Do you have access to the Father? Can you come boldly? Are you seated in heavenly places? Do you have the, the Holy Spirit? Amen. So when we look at all of these very important things that, that were made available to Jesus that He utilized to do what He did and to live the life of constant victory and overcoming that He lived on this planet... You know, it's very easy to say, well, you know, this was the secret or this was that. And I'm, I'm telling you, it may seem very insignificant to you, but if we're going to experience a significant shift, I believe what we're lacking that Jesus had was his perspective, his worldview. Amen. All right. Now, um, so we said that a reconditioned mind then will always produce a transformed life. In the course of our study, we've looked at, and I think this is the part that I keep feeling so compelled to, to review over and over again. I'm not going to go back through all the details. If you weren't here for the last few sermons, they're free online. You can access them, audio, video, however you like to um, you know, listen or watch. But the key thing that the Holy Spirit just keeps prompting me to remind you of is that how you view a situation is going to influence how you experience that situation. And we started with this weeks ago, looking at where the Bible says in First, Thess First Thessalonians 4, I believe it is, second, I get my first and second sometimes confused, that, that we sorrow, um, but not as those without hope. In, in other words, a, a born-again child of God will grieve when uh, uh, someone passes from this life that's close to you, but, but we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. In other words, someone who's born again and understands the hope of heaven and that we will see these people again, that doesn't mean we won't have grief, but we will experience that 
that loss, if you will, um, differently from someone who doesn't have that, that same understanding or that same perspective. Yes? And then we, we looked at how the disciples could have experienced Jesus' uh, crucifixion, burial, and resurrection differently had they only listened to him telling them over and over and over again that it was going to happen and what to expect. They should have been at the tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning ready to throw a party, but instead they were experiencing you know, devastating grief, paralyzing fear, overwhelming regret, um, thinking they were next because they never let what Jesus said to them change the way they looked at things. And so they looked at it in a way that caused them to experience what was the greatest victorious moment that will ever be experienced on this planet. Um, they missed it because of, you know what I'm saying, they weren't looking at it the way they should have looked at it. Amen. Is this making sense? So do you see what, I'm, do you see what we're talking about here? That had they um, had the right perspective, the right worldview, and I'll, we're going to get into a little more details of what worldview really is this morning, then they would have experienced those three days much differently than, than they originally or initially experienced them. Then we looked at Abraham, right? <laughs> see, uh, Abraham did not have that same kind of, of grief and fear and regret when it came to offering Isaac. And, and uh, my prayer is that, that, that every uh, preacher and teacher of the Word would quit misrepresenting Abraham's attitude towards offering his son Isaac. Because what did the Bible say in Hebrews 11, I think verse 19? It said that he had already received Isaac raised from the dead in a figure. What does that mean? That means that the way he was looking at that whole situation was not what people uh, think. It's not how people think it went down. He's, he's looking at that as not defeat but as, as victory. That he's fixing to see something that's never been seen on planet earth. Now notice, received him raised from the dead in a figure. What does that mean? He had already seen it in his heart. He had already visualized it. Or let me, here's another word we're going to bring up on the table this, this morning. He had envisioned it already. And, and that was his faith. He saw it in a way that others didn't. Are you, are you, are you picking up what I'm putting down? Now this is important, okay? Because it's easy to talk about other folks, you know, the disciples getting it right on, on all that and Abraham, I'm sorry, the disciples getting it wrong and Abraham getting it right, what have you. But the same is true of you and me. You know, we can look at what's going on in our world around us and, and we can get in fear. You know, we can go start take all our money out of the banks. <laughs> I mean, you know, what's happening here and all And listen, we're, that's when the Bible says wise as serpents, harmless as doves, Holy Spirit will make you wise. He'll tell you what to do. We're not going to do anything in fear. We're not going to do anything in panic. Right? Life is choice driven, therefore it must be spirit led. But you know, you can have a worldview that keeps you up at night or you can have a worldview that allow the peace of God that passes all understanding to guard your heart and mind. And so it's, it's how do we view these things? Did Jesus tell the disciples he was going to be arrested, crucified, buried, and then raised from the dead? Yes. Did he tell you and me that there would come days upon the earth that would be known as perilous times? Yes. In the same way that he told them what to expect and how it was going to turn out, he's already told you and me what to expect and how it's going to turn out. So that we will not let our hearts be troubled. 
Who wants to trouble your heart? Satan wants to trouble your heart. We're not going to let our hearts be troubled. Amen? That means worry. Your heart being troubled is, you know, it, it literally the, the word marimnau in the, in the Greek that's translated into our English word worry, it means, to, it means for the heart to be troubled, for you to uh, take in troubling thoughts that would rob you of your peace and, and uh, create you know, anxiety, anxious thoughts and things like that in, in your heart and mind. Now, a significant shift always requires a significant if. And, and so if we will allow the Holy Spirit to help us have the right perspective on these things, then we will experience a significant shift in our lives in 2023. Amen? Now, go with me to um, Matthew, the 6th chapter. Praise God. Matthew, the 6th chapter and. We're going to begin at verse number 19. When the Holy Spirit first began to um, speak to me about these things, um, I asked Him to show me in the Word of God the best place to teach this. Okay? Show me in the Word of God the best place to teach this. And He led me to Matthew, the sixth chapter. Now, let me, uh, to be honest with you, I've, I've been a little hesitant to use this. Matter of fact, I've only used it a couple times this morning, this terminology worldview. Because worldview sounds like something worldly, right? And we often hear the world use the expression, someone who has a Christian worldview. Well, I don't necessarily have a problem with that terminology, but you know, a Christian worldview is what the world thinks a Christian's view of the world is. <laughs> In other words, they, the, and uh, you know, a Christian worldview ain't what it used to be. You, <laughs> you understand what I mean by that? In other words, it's changing. So that's why I prefer a Jesus worldview because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So before I get to, thank you, Holy Spirit, prompting me, I, there's a few things that I've just kind of brushed over that I want to get to. I want to get some solid things in place. So let's kind of look a little closer at what a worldview actually is. We've said that your worldview is the lens through which you view the world. I don't want you to be turned off by the terminology. But there's a reason why, and you're going to see it here in just a moment when we start breaking down this definition, okay? Your worldview is the lens through which you view the world. And remember, Jesus saw earth through the lens of heaven, okay? Now, we could, we could simplify it and say your, wor- your worldview is how you see the world, but there's more to it than just that simple explanation, Because in addition to worldview, worldview is the way you see the world and your place in it. I can tell you right now that a whole lot of folks in the body of Christ do not have a Jesus worldview. You may tell you why I know that. It's because we've yet to understand our place in this world. Now, the ultimate hope of this world is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But we also see that the hope of this world is the local church because we are the body of Christ. 
We are his hands and feet. We are, we are his eyes and, and ears and mouth speaking. Are you following me? Amen. And because we don't have the right worldview, we don't fully understand our place in this world. Was Jesus bold? Yeah, he was bold. But he, but he wasn't uh, uh, rude. He wasn't mean. He wasn't, he wasn't how do I say this? He wasn't overbearing. People with demons in them, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, let me say it another way. Demons in people cried out in terror when he, you know, got close. And children ran to him when he got close. Amen. Amen. What's happened in the body of Christ, and it's, and it's been off-putting to the people that we have been placed on this planet to reach, is that we read in the scriptures what our role, what our place should be in the world, and we try to force that without having Jesus' view of the world. And so it's almost like we're offended at the world because they don't respect us. <laughs> Amen. Are you following what I'm saying? Well you will fully understand your place and your significance because you have tremendous significance in this world. You will, you will understand that, or let me say it another way, you do understand that based upon the worldview you currently have. So worldview <clears throat> is the way you see the world and your place in it. Now, your worldview determines how you understand and make sense of the world around you and how you express yourself in the world. Remember, we're talking about giving expression to the inward realities of the new birth. There are, there are times where we need to speak up and we do not speak up because, again, we have the wrong worldview, we don't understand our place, and we let the devil quickly talk us out of, those people don't want to hear what you have to say. When they're literally dying to hear what you have to say. Now, here is the most definitive, uh, uh, wordy, uh, comprehensive definition, if you will, of a worldview. A worldview is a collection, and that's important right there. It's a collection. It's not just one thing. It's a collection of things. It's a collection of attitudes, values. Values are what you, as an individual, um, consider to be important. Amen. Obviously, you consider coming to the Lord's house on a Sunday morning and fellowshipping with God and fellowshipping with the people of God and worshiping God and growing together in the Word. You value that. You know how I know you value that? Because you're here. People online, they value that because they're taking time out of their day to, to, to hear and to receive and to worship. You do understand that not everybody values the things that you value or to the degree that you value them. Amen. A person who values the words of God will have a different worldview than someone who could care less about anything God's ever said. Amen. So your worldview is a collection of attitudes, mindsets, we could say for attitudes, values, stories, things that we've all experienced and, 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 and been through, and then our expectations. The Lord asked us this, I don't know, it's been a few years ago now. I'm going I'm to reiterate the question. Are you ready? 
Are you expecting more today than you can produce on your own? Are you expecting more today than you can produce on your own? See, the, the worldview that you, know, that you have, it's, it's going to determine what you're expecting. And, 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 it, and it consists of expectations about the world around us. Now, here's the, probably the most critical thing about this. A worldview informs our every thought and action. We can say it this way. A worldview is the foundation or the basis or the root for the way we think and the way we behave or the way that we act. When it says that your worldview informs your every thought and action, <clears throat> let's, let's spend a minute here. In, inform your every thought and action, it means to influence. Your worldview influences your thoughts and your actions. Just think of it as a, as a baseline but it's more than that. When it says it informs your every thought and action, your worldview literally tells you what to think and how to act. Your worldview then predetermines how you will think and act in any given situation. So let's go back. I know we haven't really reviewed this part, but remember the word of the Lord came that He wanted us to experience a significant shift in 2023. And as we begin to unpack that, as we begin to dig into that, we see that a significant shift always requires a significant if. And the significant if, right, comes back to um, quit, stop waiting on everything and everybody around you to change, but let your Heavenly Father, through His Holy Word and the Holy Spirit of God, change the way you look at everything and, and everyone around you. Let Him change your perspective, and it will change how you experience every situation you're involved in. You can literally go from seeing something as defeat to seeing it as victory, to seeing it as loss, to seeing it as gain, to seeing it as a failure, to seeing it as a success. Amen. This means your worldview determines how you respond. Just trying to say it different ways, same thing, different ways. Okay? Now, I asked the Holy Spirit... Father, show me, Jesus, show me, where, where is the best place to go to teach this? Because I really, sincerely, genuinely believe that, that the Lord was speaking to me about this. But I'm like, you know, do a, do a word search in the Scriptures. You won't find worldview in there anywhere. I said, okay, Lord, I, I know it's you, but where is it in the Word? Show me the best, not just where is it in the Word, but show me the best place to teach it to your people from the Word. He immediately sent me to Matthew 6. Now, there are several verses here, and I'm going to read all of them. I'm going to read to you from starting at verse 19, and we're going to go all the way to verse number 34. And there's a reason for that. It's because we need to see how all of these different thoughts are connected to one another and related to one another. It's very easy to look at these things and think that Jesus was just kind of checking off a list of subjects that he wanted to touch on before dismissing for the day. And, and if we're not careful, we will look at some of the different things that he addressed here as being important but unrelated to all the other things that are listed here when just the opposite is true. These are all focused around 
worldview. These verses are all focused upon who we listen to and how we see things. Okay? They're all focused on who we listen to and how we see things. We'll say it again. They're all focused on (laughs) who we listen to and how we see things. All right, I'm trying to just get your heart prepared because I'm fixing to say something very strong. Are you ready? Worry, worry means you're listening to the wrong things and not seeing things the way you need to see them. If you are worrying, you're not looking at it right. Amen. Because that's what he's going he's gonna to talk about worry here in just a minute, right? Big time. But before he talks about worry, he's, he's, he's going to talk about your eye. And, and he's going to talk about the light that's in you. And if your eye be single or good. And before he talks about that, he's going to talk about laying up for yourself treasure in heaven. And if you're not careful, it'd be very easy for you to think that he's just talking about several different things unrelated, not connected to one another. But in reality, it's all one big subject, and he's just showing us what it is, where it begins, what it is, how it works, and then ultimately how it plays out in our everyday lives. Was Jesus worried? Why was he not worried then? If he wasn't, why was he not? Could he have been? Yes, as a human being, he could have been. Jesus could have allowed his heart to be troubled just like we can allow our heart to be troubled. If Jesus said, do not allow your heart to be troubled, that means we can prevent our hearts from being troubled. He would have never told you to do something that you didn't have the capacity or the ability to do. I won't teach on that right now. We've got some other stuff we've got to cover first. But see, worry is is where Satan... See... When we listen to and focus on the wrong things, next thing you know, we start confessing the wrong things, expecting the wrong things. And it's no wonder then that Satan and the world has tried to downplay the significance of worry, right? I mean, there are a lot of people in, 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 the, in, you know, in the world today that believe if, if, as a parent, you're not worried about your children, you're not doing your job. That it's your job to worry about them. But what we don't understand is when, you know, we begin to look to the wrong things. So this is where the whole scenario is like, it's like tipping over that first domino. So I'm, I'm going to say it again. It's like with rest. How do you know if you're in faith or not? Because there's a lot of people who think they're in faith and they're not. It's not, it's, it's not judging anybody. It's, we need to know and understand these things. We do not need to be in a position in life where we think we're in faith and we're not in faith. How do you know if you're in faith? You have rest. You have rest. You have rest. So, in the same way that rest is an indicator of faith, 
Worry is an indicator that we're looking at this situation incorrectly. Because when you look at it from the right perspective, there'll be no worry. It's not to make you mad. I'm not judging you. But again, the first question you need to ask the Lord when you start experiencing worry in your life is, what am I looking at wrong? What, what, what am I not seeing here that I need to see better? Where has my focus gotten off? What is worry if it's not focusing on the wrong things? That's what it is, right? Okay, We've got, there's a lot more to come on that. I'm not going to tell you when because I don't want you to miss on purpose. No, I'm just kidding. You good? All right. So let's, let's begin here. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As we work our way through this, I want you to pay close attention to, to the term you and your. Because these things apply to us all, but what you treasure, what you value, may not necessarily be what somebody else treasures or what somebody else values. Who decides what you treasure? You do. You decide that. You decide what you make a priority in your life. You decide what's important and what's not important. Amen. The three greatest areas that the world has problems and issues, major problems, major issues, morals, values, and relationships. Let's make it simple. Morals is what's right. Reckon our world's confused today about what's right. And are the people in the world suffering severely because they don't know what's right? This isn't holier than thou, look down their nose on them. No, no, no. People are miserable. They fight and argue and march and parade and force and make you they want you to bow your knee to their worldview of of what's right and yet the very thing they're fighting to defend and and fighting to have the right to cram down our throats is destroying them it's it's making them miserable I'm not, that's not a judgment. I, I work with a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life. They're not happy. I could, you don't even need me to do that, right? Okay. So, morals, what's right? Values, what's important? What's really important? I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. You know, you, you squeeze a ketchup bottle, ketchup comes out. And I've mentioned a time or two 
that I'm listening to this book, Imagine Heaven. It's a long book. It's a 14, almost 15-hour listen. And um, it's, it's, it's really had an impact upon me personally. Um, a pastor has interviewed, listened to, or read over a thousand different stories of people who've had near-death experiences. And he's even broken down of those thousand, you know, not everybody goes through a tunnel. I think 67% of the people that he's talked to do, but not everybody goes through a tunnel. Not everybody sees a light, okay? Um, but most people see the light, see a light. Okay? I'm not here to talk about that, but here's the thing. A large portion of those people experience something called what he calls a life review. You ever heard the expression, my life passed before my face? We get that from people who literally have had Jesus and the angels pass their entire lives before their face. And this is about mercy. A lot of these people didn't know the Lord that he's talked to. They know him now. Some have seen the Lord and talked to him and have been interviewed by this pastor who still don't believe in Jesus, still aren't saved. And the Bible says that if they don't believe based on the Word of God, amen. I could talk two hours about this. If you spend some time with me, <laughs> I had breakfast with uh, Jake and Bethany and the boys yesterday, Pam and I, and then I, I mean, it's like I had a captive audience with Jake, and of course I, I think he was enjoying it. I don't like it because I was putting him through anything, but I, I mean, it's just it's fascinating to me. It's fascinating. But listen to me now, the worldview. The questions vary, but the gist of the question that most people are asked, either by an angel or by Jesus, some of them don't know the difference, but is this, what have you done with your life? And when they, it's like when they start to think about it, it begins to play, but they're not in control of it. All of a sudden they're showing, they're being shown what they did with their life. And this one man who had been so driven by success and he neglected his family and this and that you know all of those things right are playing by and when it went past this point in his life where he had what he considered to be the most significant accomplishment in his life it was some award that he had won it wasn't mentioned and he interrupts the lord he's like whoa 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 hold on a second you left out the part about when i won this and 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 i even got a cash prize for that and he says we're not here to talk about that right now cause in light of eternity it's not important it's not important one guy was talking about his experience. He said, man, I just sat back there and watched it all, and I'm like, my goodness, you know, this is, this, is, this is sad. He said, you know, the Lord didn't say anything about all those track and field medals I won in college. How about this one? All these questions that people, by God, when I see the Lord, I'm going to ask him. Nobody ever asked him anything. They fall at his feet. Kind of like Peter, Lord have mercy on me, I'm a sinful man. All these questions that we <laughs> we think we're going to, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord why this, why that. They said none of that. 
gone because you know you're in the presence of holiness. See, this world, all the conflict in this world, right? Morals, values. People don't know what's right. People don't know what's important. And then relationships, right? You take everything out of this Bible that has to do with our relationship with God or our relationship with one another, relationships between parents and their children, children and their parents, husbands and wives, wives and husbands, employees, employers, employers, and all of that, right? You, this whole, you can make a case that it's a book of maps and relationships. And the world's clueless. And no idea. They, they don't even know what love is. Even sing, Listen to the, all the love songs that come out of the world. Want to know what love is? Still hadn't found what I'm looking for. What's love got to do with it? It's, they don't know. Let me ask you this morning. Who, who knows what's right? God and we know. We know what's right. And we know what's important. You see in this. We know what's important. And relationships, we see, we, so Jesus, help us. You see why I say the hope of this world? Of course it's God. I'm not, Jesus is the hope of this world. But it's the local church because the local church is, is, is his body in the earth. See, we don't, we, we're trying to, the Lord told me this back before cabinet shop days. He said, you're trying to change the world and change the world and be like the world at the same time. And, and really what that boils down to is we're trying to change the world with a view of the world that came from the world. See, the, the children of Israel in slavery, there's a reason why God separated Moses from them and then brought them, then brought Moses back to them. Very easy for people to say, Moses don't know what it's like to be me. Moses don't know what it's like to be a slave. Who do you think you are coming up in here trying to tell me? See, those people didn't need people. Those people didn't need a deliverer that knew what it was like to be a slave. They needed a deliverer who knew what it was like to be a king. They, they didn't need somebody who, who, who knew what it was like to, to eat the guts of animals to try to survive. They needed somebody who thought like a king, not somebody who thought like a slave. This world doesn't need somebody who thinks like this world. The people, the people on your job don't need another person who's in the same boat as they are, who has no idea what's right, who has no idea what's important, who has no idea what relationships are supposed to look like. They need somebody who knows what's right and what's important and how to have healthy relationships, life-giving, vital, productive relationships in, in, in their lives. I've heard it said, and I understand, I'm not trying to throw rocks, just hear me. I've heard it said that someone is so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Well, that phrase should be altered, so religiously minded that they're no earthly good. But the more heavenly minded we are, the more valuable we are to this world. This world needs 
men and women who are heavenly minded again. Who see things the way Jesus saw them. Who love people the way he loved them. Trying to change the world and can't put up with somebody cutting us off in traffic. What? You know, it's like, do they not know there's two lines at the self-checkout? And now they got to the left-hand line to get in front of me in the right-hand line. Mind starts going right. Start worrying about it. Notice now. You're getting stressed. Watch this now. This is trying to show you how easy it is for the devil to get, some, get us anxious if we, don't, if we don't understand it. Now all of a sudden we're getting all anxiety, stress, looking at our watch, huffing, rolling our eyes, looking at the person behind us, making a fool out of ourselves and don't even know it. And in no frame of mind for the Holy Spirit who may just be telling you to take your debit card up there and pay for their groceries. <clears throat> so let me give you worldview from Matthew 6. We're not, well, see I'm doing what I really didn't plan to do. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. You see what I'm talking about? How It seems like he's talking about something different now. He's not. Because he's talking about, in, in those first three verses, he's talking about our focus. Is our focus in, in treasure in heaven or is our focus in treasure on the earth? Or let me just simplify it if I could. Which one are you looking to? Are you looking to heaven for your help and for your answers? Or are you looking to this world for your help and for your answers? And then when he talks about the lamp of the body being the eye, he's talking about an oil lamp that draws from the reservoir the wick is submerged in. He didn't say light, he said lamp. And he's talking about an oil lamp. And the idea here is that what you focus on, you draw to you and you're drawn towards. It's the law of attraction. Now, again, who decides what you focus on? Who decides what you set your eye upon? Or who decides what you look to? Are we looking to heaven or are we looking to the earth? And it's very easy to say, well, I'm looking to heaven. Where's your treasure? <laughs> See? Let me keep reading here. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? We're going to come back to those verses and finish, but let me keep reading. So, 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Okay. Let me keep going. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. He's going to use two words here. He's going to use look at the birds of the air, and then he's going to say consider the lilies. Two different Greek words, with one being a long and thoughtful look, the next one really focus and, and meditate on the word, the word consider, translate our English word consider. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So notice now, he's giving us the practical solution for worry. And the practical solution for worry is what we focus on, what we consider. He says, if you will stop and consider that every bird on this planet, our Father feeds, and they're not stressed out about anything, and you are so much more precious to Him than all of them combined. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore I say, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Notice what worrying does. Worrying gets you, sets your mouth to going. Right? What you focus on, focus on the wrong things, you worry, you get anxious about it. When you get anxious about it, you start speaking. You start speaking, what do your words do? Your words bring to pass. It's Satan hijacking the way God created us, but we'll talk about that in the days ahead. For all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. That should be a key factor in our worldview. That before tomorrow gets here, Father already knows what you're going to need tomorrow. He's got it covered. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. Let me stop there. Let's go back. We've got a minute or two. Can you stay with me just a minute or two longer? Verse 22, The lamp of the body is the eye, therefore your eye is good. King James Version says, If your eye is single... Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Let me me show you worldview in Scripture. Worldview in Scripture is expressed in the statement, the light that is in you. The light that is in you. The light that is in you. Light, in its most simplest definition, is the ability to see. And so he's talking about the ability to see that's in you. If the ability to see that is in you, right, is distorted by darkness, how great will be the darkness? If your eye is good, if your eye is single, the word is only used twice in Scripture. It's a very interesting word. Let me just give it to you as simply and as easily to remember and understand as you can possibly say, as, you, as it can possibly be, okay? If your eye is good, it means that you are able to see things as they truly are without distortion. That you can see things the way they truly are without distortion. 
if your eye is bad, evil in the King James. He's talking about in the first instance, the word is used good or single. It's used to talk about someone whose eye is not diseased because in the case of someone's eye being diseased, they would potentially see double. They would not be seeing things clearly as they truly are. So if your eye is good, it means that you're able to see things as they truly are without distortion. If something is distorted, that means that it's, it, you're not seeing it as it truly is. You're not looking at it in, in light, uh, because light's the ability to see. You're not looking at it in, remember what uh, the word says of Jesus in John chapter 1, that he is the true light. The true light. First John, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So a good eye doesn't just mean that I can see Wally sitting there. A good eye means that I can see Wally for who he truly is according to the Word of God. To see something as it truly is means that I can look at somebody who is sick and see them healed. I can look at somebody who is bound and see them free. That's how it truly is. Because our God calls things that be not as though they are. Not because He's a liar, but because He sees things as they truly are. He, his, his view is not distorted by darkness. Are you seeing this? How much of our worldview is distorted by darkness? In, in other words, how much of what we see, we're looking through a lens of this world, which is a lens of darkness. We're not seeing things as they truly are. We think we are, but we're not seeing them as they truly are. We're seeing them in a distorted way. Jesus said, if your eye be single, if you can see it the way it truly is, without distortion, your whole body will be full of light. Stand with me, praise God. And we got, we got, there's a lot of pieces we got to connect here. Watch this now. This is this is the thing, and I want to. Jesus, help me, Father. If your eye be single, see your eye is what is is you. You determine what your eye. You determine how you're going to look at a situation. You determine what you're going to focus on. You determine what you treasure. You determine what you're going to set your. What did he say? He said, "If you seek me with your whole heart, you'll find me. If you seek me with your whole heart, you'll find me." But here's the thing, watch this now. This is, this is where it's going to take some time. I just want to plant this, and you be praying about it, thinking about it. Lord's going to really help us get this spelled out correctly, okay? Your eye is, what, is how you choose to look at a situation. But if you choose to look at a situation as it truly is according to the Word of God... The light that fills your body doesn't come from the outside of you into you. It comes from the inside of you out of you. Because the lamp of the body is the eye, but the spirit in a man is the lamp of God. Right? We've got two lamps now. We've got two lamps now. And when we say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to see my situation the way God sees it, and I'm, I'm going to look away from, I'm not going to have double vision, I'm not going to be double-minded. I have double vision. I'm going to look at it the way God looks at it. I'm going to say what God says about it. 
and, and I'm, I'm going to persist in that. Well, see, now what you've just done is you've triggered the, the, the light of God that's in you now to fill your whole being. So now you begin to actually see that for real that way inwardly. I almost want to tell you to sit back down let's stay another hour. But Father, you're good to us. You're good to us. You're good to us. You're good to us. You're teaching us. You're showing us. Look at me for a minute. Look at me for a minute. Who do men say that I am? Jesus asked, right? Well, some say you're this, and some say you're that, and some say you're this, and some say you're that. Man, you're talking about double vision, triple vision, quadruple vision, all these different uh, ways of looking at Jesus, a prophet, uh, you know, all, right? So many, you know, basically, jury's still out, Jesus. Questions are important. Jesus asks them, and the devil asks them. Has God really said you can't eat any fruit in this garden? Oh, no, he said we can have all the fruit we want except for that one tree. He just tricked her into focusing on that one tree. He knew God said they could eat any of that fruit they wanted. His first question was, did God really say you can't have any of this fruit from any of these trees? She goes, oh, 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 no, no, God said we can have all the fruit we want. We just can't eat from that one. Oh, that one, really? Wow, look at that tree. See? See? So Jesus did the same thing. Who do men say that I am? Well, you know, Jesus, some say this, and holy man, good man. Some folks say you're a nut, but, you know, we don't believe that. And you're so, so. <laughs> Peter, in that moment, his, his focus on Jesus, he looked away from everything else, all that other stuff, and he considered that he was looking at the Messiah, the Son of God, and when he did it, Light came from God the Father inside of him and out of his mouth. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Whole body was filled with it. And what did Jesus say? I'm glad you were listening to those Pharisees offer that suggestion. No. He said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. That ability to see. See, he saw Jesus for who he really was. He saw him. But not before he chose to look at him. Everything else, I'm choosing this day to see you as the Messiah. And when he made that choice, it came up out of him. Whole, whole mind filled with it. To the point that he said it out of his mouth. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Simon, my Father in heaven. The candle of the Lord the candle of God, His Spirit, illuminated His consciousness out of His mouth. Father, You're good to us. Thank You for helping us. Thank You for the richness of Your Word. Father, thank You for what You're doing in our lives and in our families. Father, we refuse, we refuse to keep looking at things the way we've always looked at them. And with Your help and the Holy Spirit's help and the Word of God, we're looking away from all the different opinions, all the different voices, all the different questions, all the different things that, that religion and this world try to bombard our minds with, Father. And Lord, we choose to see things and people and our situations as they truly are according to Your Word. And I declare, Father, that our entire bodies, containers of our spirit and soul, 
are being filled with your ability to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you for giving me a few more minutes, a little after 12. You have a great rest of your day. I'll see some of you tomorrow, some of you on Wednesday. You be blessed and good things coming.